Welcome to the Majestic Truth Podcast. Join us as we delve into the mysteries of the universe, explore the unexplained, and shed light on some of the most important events that have occurred and are occurring in our world today. Get ready to open your mind, expand your horizons, and discover the extraordinary. This is the Majestic Truth Podcast. And now your host, Michelle. Welcome aboard, Truth Seekers. Fasten your seatbelts and prepare for an unforgettable ride. Together we'll question, explore, and embrace the majesty of truth. I'm so grateful you're here today. Before we kick off the show here, head on over to MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode six. That's MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode and the number six. And grab the downloadable that has the overview of this particular case file. Now, there are some key factors, so follow along closely as we delve into this mysterious UFO abduction. Let me give you a brief event summary. The story begins on October 11th, 1973. Two men, Charles Hickson, 49, and Calvin Parker, 18 were fishing on the banks of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. According to their testimony, they heard a strange noise and saw a blue light shining from behind them. When they turned around, they were confronted by a large egg-shaped craft hovering just a few feet above the ground. Three humanoid creatures with gray, wrinkled skin and crab-like claws emerged from the craft and floated towards them. The men were paralyzed with fear and unable to move as the beings lifted them into the craft. Once inside the craft, Hickson and Parker claimed they were examined by these creatures who used strange devices to scan their bodies. The men reported feeling a sense of terror and helplessness as they were probed and poked by the aliens. After what felt like hours, the creatures released the men back onto the riverbank and disappeared into the night sky. The men reported the incident to the local sheriff's office and their story quickly made headlines around the world. Skeptics dismissed the story as a hoax, but the men stuck to their story and passed numerous lie detector tests. In the years since the incident, the Pascagoula UFO case has been the subject of intense scrutiny and debate. Some experts have suggested that the men may have experienced sleep paralysis or hallucinations while others have argued that the story is too detailed and consistent to be a hoax. Despite the controversy, the Pascagoula incident remains one of the most intriguing and mysterious UFO cases on record. It continues to capture the imaginations of UFO enthusiasts and skeptics alike, and its legacy will undoubtedly endure for many years to come. All right, so 
that's the synopsis of the story. And there are key factors of this case. And we're going to go over them right now. Key factor number one. Lie detector tests. Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker's claim of being abducted by extraterrestrial beings during the Pascagoula UFO incident in 1973 was met with skepticism by many. However, the men passed multiple lie detector tests administered by experts in the field, lending credence to their story. The tests were designed to measure the physiological responses of the men as they recounted their experience, with the experts concluding that they were telling the truth. The results of these tests have been the subject of much debate and analysis over the years, with some experts disputing their validity. However, the fact remains that Hickson and Parker's passing of these tests added weight to their claims and helped to cement the Pascagoula UFO incident as one of the most intriguing and mysterious cases in UFO history. The scientist known for his work with Project Blue Book, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, believed they were telling the truth and something did happen to them that night. All right, further thinking and research. They passed the lie detector test. What more is there to say here? All right, key factor number two, secret tape recorder. Hickson and Parker were, were understandably shaken and frightened after their abduction by extraterrestrial beings. No kidding. After reporting their experience to the local sheriff's office, they were left alone in a room to discuss what had happened. Unbeknownst to them, the police officers had left the tape recorder running under the table, capturing their conversation. Now, the police officers thought maybe this was some prank and this is how they would catch them. But on the tape, Hickson and Parker can be heard speaking in hushed tones, expressing their fear and disbelief at what had just occurred. The recording would later become a key piece of evidence in the case and has been analyzed by experts and skeptics alike. Despite the controversy surrounding the incident, the recording remains a haunting reminder of the strange and mysterious events that took place on that fateful night in Pascagoula. All right, further thinking and research here. Does this not prove that they were indeed telling the truth since they hadn't known they were being recorded? Key factor number three, Calvin Parker went into hiding after the incident. If Parker was looking for fame from a fabricated story, then why did he spend the next decades avoiding the media? And when he was recognized at a new job, he would quit and look for another job. Further thinking and research, it wasn't until many years later Parker finally spoke about what had happened to him. If he was looking for fame or fortune, wouldn't he have granted interviews with the media much sooner and been more in the spotlight regarding his story? Key factor number four, needle marks on their arms. In the aftermath of the incident in 1973, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker reported experiencing a number of unusual physical symptoms, including nausea, headaches. Additionally, the men claimed to have discovered needle marks on their arms, which they believed were the result of the extraterrestrial beings examining them during their alleged abduction. 
These marks were later examined by medical professionals who confirmed that they were indeed puncture wounds, but were unable to determine their origin. The presence of the needle marks added another layer of mystery to the already bizarre incident and has been the subject of much speculation and debate in the years since. While skeptics have suggested that the marks may have been the result of medical procedures or injections administered by the men themselves, <laughs> the fact remains that they have never been fully explained, adding to the intrigue and fascination surrounding the Pascagoula UFO case. Further thinking and research. They had physical evidence on their bodies to back up their claims. This does not further prove they are telling the truth. All right, now that we have gone through the key factors of the case, let's listen to some sound bites from various interviews and events throughout the years since the event. All right, so this first clip is from Pascagoula, Mississippi, Sheriff Fred Diamond. We have just like we would a regular routine call. If a guy comes into the office and say, I've been robbed, it's my duty to believe that he's been robbed to investigate it as fully as we can. Well, all we could do is go to the scene and interview these men and, and really stay with these men and uh, observe them and question them. I mean, to the fullest extent. And at no time could we, their stories were the same. We interviewed them separately and before, and then we put them together and we, we monitored their conversation. So Hickson and Parker were interviewed together and then separately, and they told the same story. Next up, we have some clips from the radio interview Sheriff Diamond gave the morning after the incident. So the interviewer asked Sheriff Diamond to tell him what took place. Well, shortly after 8 o'clock last night, these gentlemen were over fishing here just north of the Pascagoula River Bridge on, on the East River. And uh, this, they started this object coming down, and it landed uh, approximately two feet off the ground. It never touched the ground. And it, two creatures came out and carried them in a board. One of the men passed out and from excitement. One of them never did pass out, and they, there was no... Chairs, no, nothing much ending the object. They were weightless at the time that they were in the spacecraft. Uh, they were very excited. Uh, they don't, they don't want to be interviewed at this time. They, at the present time, they're in route to Singapore Hospital to be checked out. They were weightless in the spacecraft. Interesting. And something else he mentioned: they don't want to be interviewed at this time goes along a bit with key factor number three. If they were looking for fame or fortune, wouldn't they have granted interviews with the media? Now, Sheriff Diamond makes this statement about the object in the sky. Uh, this, this same object that uh, was supposed to have picked these two men up was spotted about uh, four to five minutes earlier uh, up near the Van Cleve area. It was also spotted by two or three people in Pascagoula. So this same object was spotted 45 minutes before Hickson and Parker were abducted and spotted by two or three people in Pascagoula that same night. Interesting, right? Now the sheriff gives the description he was given regarding what these creatures look like. Seemed to be around five foot tall. They were real wrinkled and had sharp ears, 
sharp nose, and their mouth was very near the end of the nose. They were horrible creatures from, from the description we got from them. Now, Sheriff Diamond is asked if he believes Hickson and Parker. Yes, sir, I definitely believe their story. Now the sheriff is asked if they described the ship they saw. No, sir, only the blue light. It, it had a, a glowing blue light, and uh, that's what got their attention. At the time they saw the light, the, creek, the craft was almost on top of it. It landed about 25 feet from, from where the men were fishing, and it seemed to just draw them into the craft. It seemed to just draw them into the craft. Whoa. <laughs> Now the sheriff and the interviewer have this exchange about the men taking the lie detector test. I've agreed to take a lie detector test, even in Jackson. In other words, they, they have no qualms about taking the test whenever you specify. Both of them will take a, will take a test to prove that their story is true, and I definitely believe this. Believe, believe I believe I heard one, uh, Sheriff Diamond, as, as uh, they first arrived here in your office, uh, I think it was the young one, the 18-year-old man, uh, said he was willing to take the test even last night. That's very true, very true. And uh, he, he got very emotional up here this morning, as you know. Well, you wasn't in, you didn't see that part, but he said, these boys were telling the truth. The sheriff reiterates again that they were telling the truth. Now they have this exchange about the recent sightings that have occurred in the area for over two weeks, around when this whole incident happened. And as you stated, uh, Sheriff Diamond, that you did have quite a few reports this morning coming in from other sightings from people in the different areas here in Jackson County. Yes, sir. <clears throat> it was spotted more in Harrison County uh, than it has been in Jackson County. They've been spotting this thing in Harrison County for over two or three weeks. But uh, up until about a week ago, I hadn't had any reports of it being spotted in Jackson County. So an object had been spotted over a two to three week period. So residents were calling in to say they were seeing an unidentified flying object in the sky in the two to three week period leading up to Hickson and Parker's abduction. Interesting. Okay, our next set of sound bites are from an interview from WABC with Charles Hickson in 1974. So Hickson starts to describe the incident and how him and Calvin worked together and I'll pick it up where he talks about how they decided to go fishing that evening. And sometime during the day on October 11th, we decided to go fishing after work, something that I, I do, you know, quite often when I'm not working is fishing. So after we got off work, uh, probably 4.30, I think, we were working nine hours a day. We, uh, I came home and uh, to get my fishing gear. And we wouldn't go out in a boat because uh, we were going to the banks of the river and fish from the banks for speckled trout and redfish. So we tried, we uh, got our bait and we got to the river and tried several spots and the fish didn't seem to be biting. So there was one more spot that we were going to try. That it, uh, In the past I'd caught fish there a lot of times at the old Shaw Peter shipyard, it's an old bandit shipyard. So we went, um, about, uh, back up the river to, to the old shipyard, and we're fishing from a pier off of the a wharf, you might say, on the uh, banks of the river there. And um, it had become dark by that time. We do quite a bit of uh, 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 fishing after dark, you know, down here on that time of the year. So I don't know what attracted my attention, where I had reached around to get more bait, which was sitting behind us, or 
uh, I heard some kind of zipping like sound, like uh, air of a steam or something escaping from a pipe. And as I turned around, I saw some uh, two blue flashing lights or either pulsating lights, I'm not sure. And it seemed like um, it, it was some type of craft and it seemed like it was almost down to the ground then. In fact, it was. It seemed to be about a, uh, a couple of feet, you know, above the ground. It just hovered there. So Calvin had turned by this time, and, and uh, he was looking at it too. And really, I didn't know what to do. It just, it just, I was just spellbound there for a few minutes, just, and um, and then almost immediately, some type of opening appeared in the the end that was Taurus, which what I assumed would be the front end, and. The, the light that had come outside was just, it was real, real bright light. And three things appeared in the doorway uh, of the craft, and they seemed to just glide out, out of the craft. They never touched the ground. They seemed to just glide across, it must have been 25 or 30 feet from us, or, or maybe a little further than that. And they they came to us, just glided over to us, and, and uh, two of them took me by the arms from the side, and one took a hold of Calvin, and, and um, I seen Calvin go limp, and I didn't know it then, but he had fainted. So Calvin faints from sheer terror. I mean, wrap your head around this moment. I mean, just picture it. You're sitting there fishing with your buddy. I mean, it's a relaxing thing, fishing, right? And you turn around and see a craft, then an opening, and weird-looking creatures come floating out of it towards you. Is it any wonder why Calvin fainted? Who the frig wouldn't faint? Now Hickson continues. So they um, they carried me inside the craft, and, and, and the light was almost blinding inside. In fact, for about three or four days, I had something like a bad welding flash in my eyes. And I can't, I can't recall or I can't remember just what was on the inside simply because the light was so bright that I just couldn't couldn't make out what it was but I didn't see any tables or chairs and the room seemed to be round of course that could have been because the light seemed to be glowing from the walls and the overhead and the ceiling but they carried me what I guess about the middle of the room and we would just seem to be suspended there I, I, I couldn't move I didn't have any feelings no sensation of of, uh, of any feel and it seemed to, something like a big eye. I keep referring to it as an eye because it was about size for a small baseball. In the end, it was focused toward me. It was a different color or a different light. And it seemed to come directly out from the wall, and it came within six or eight inches of my face. And, and uh, it, it remained there for a, a few minutes, and then it, very few minutes, and then it uh, went over my entire body. I'm assuming it did because when it went down like this, I seemed to be suspended there. And the next time I seen it, it was coming back up over this way. So I assumed that it went over my entire body. But it came back in front of my face and stayed there for a few more minutes, and then it seemed to just go right back into the wall. And these things, it, the, the, the way they were holding me, I was elevated because they, they weren't as tall as me, and they were upright, and I was elevated like this. And I could see, I could move my eyes on the thing that I could move. And I could see that they had released me. And I don't know where they went, whether they went outside the craft or, or another uh, room or compartment, but they didn't come in front of me. And they left me that way for for a few minutes. I don't know how long. And then after a while, they uh, I, I seen them then when they come back to the side of me and took hold of me again. And they carried me 
back outside the craft, and and we were still just gliding. I, I wasn't touching anything that I know of, and they seemed to just glide back out to where they had taken me from and put me back down on the ground. Well, when they did, I, I fell because my legs were weak, and they gave way on me. And it was this time that I seen Calvin again. He was standing there. He was standing facing the river with his arms outstretched, and he was almost in shock. Uh, he seemed to appear to me at that time he was something was wrong with him. But so I was trying to to get to make my way toward him, and and uh, I was crawling. I couldn't get my legs to working. But before I got to him, they, I, the strength of what it was came back to my legs, and I was getting up on my feet. And I heard the, the, the same sound I'd heard before, a zipping sound. And I glanced around, and I saw the blue flashing lights, and, and it was the crack was just gone, just, just almost instantly. And I, 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 got to, I made it to Calvin, and I shook him and, and was calling to him, and it took me several minutes to get him where I could even, even talk to him, you know, with any, any sense, and, and he was going in shock. This is just extraordinary. I mean, to have experienced this, just out of this world, literally. And of course, Calvin was in shock. Who wouldn't be? Just terrifying and traumatic for anyone to go through. Hickson now describes the creatures. And these things that, um, that came out of the craft, they were about five or five foot four inches tall. And they didn't have a neck. Their, uh, the, the head seemed to come directly to the shoulders. And they had something that resembled a nose on a, on a face. And and uh, about where ears would be was something that was uh, similar to the nose, only it was a little longer. They seemed to come out almost to a point. And under the nose, it was something like a slit for a mouth, and, and uh, it was very wrinkled. And it, it, seemed, it appeared to me to be something like an elephant skin, but I don't know where it was a, a metal or what it was, but it seemed to be very wrinkled with the wrinkles running horizontal. And in the area where the eyes should have been, uh, it was so wrinkled that that I'm not even sure there was eyes. Sounds creepy and scary. Later on in the interview, Hickson makes this statement. I think now, and, and I have a, a reasons to believe, many different reasons to believe, these things were robots. They weren't beings. They were being controlled by beings from somewhere else. So he goes on to describe why he thinks this, and it's because they didn't appear to breathe and they appeared to move mechanically. So now Hickson talks about the fear he felt. But this was something that uh, wasn't supposed to even exist, and it's fear that you can't even explain. Because I kept thinking, you know, that well, what are they going to do? Are they going to take us away, or, or are they going to kill us, or are they going to take us away? And, uh, well, in fact, when they carried me aboard that craft, I figured that, that, that I'd never uh, put my foot on Earth again. But you never see your family again. I've never seen my family anymore. Who wouldn't feel this way? I mean, for the human mind to process this situation as it is occurring is nothing short of terrifying. A lack of understanding to what is happening, being taken against your will. I mean, this is so wrong. It's a violation of basic human rights for this to happen to these men. Hickson is asked, does he believe in life beyond Earth? Well, let me let me explain. Now, before this happened to me, I can't say that I believed or disbelieved because I simply didn't uh, didn't think about it one way or the other. I, I guess I'm like most people. I had my own little world that I lived in, 
And I didn't consider uh, life on other worlds. I didn't think about it. But now there's no doubt in my mind. I, I positively know that there's uh, at least one world up there somewhere with some type of life on How could he not believe at this point? After what had just he had just experienced, he knew it wasn't of this earth. Now get a load of this foreshadowing. But I think that the, the fact is out now, and, and I honestly believe this, I, I don't think that the Air Force has abandoned their UFO studies. I think that they have, uh, I think that they have a definite proof that other, other uh, worlds and beings do exist. And I think before this year is out, and I say this for, uh, uh, well, with some reservation, but uh, I think before the year is out that our government is going to, uh, uh, or particularly our Air Force, is going to come out to the American people and tell them that these things do exist. But I think they're going to do it in a way where they won't cause mass hysteria like you just mentioned. And I think that uh, they will be done before the U.S. How incredibly relevant to what is taking place today. I mean, get a load of this clip. I mean, come on. I mean, it still hasn't been disclosed properly to the American people and the people of the world. We came as close as we ever have in July with the Oversight Committee hearing with those three brave whistleblowers and members of Congress willing to have the discussion about UFOs and the government's active disinformation campaign to keep the truth from the public. If you haven't listened, check out our episode about the hearing. We've pulled some really great sound bites from it, and we serve up the highlights from it since the original hearing was, I think, over two and a half hours. So check that episode out and grab the downloadable for it, too. It has three pages of some of the greatest quotes we pulled from it, so you can have some talking points to discuss what was said to those around you who haven't yet seen the hearing. Head on over to MajesticTruth.com forward slash podcast, and you'll see the episode and the button to go to the episode page that has the download for it. So Dr. J. Allen Hynek has gone down to Pascagoula to see Hickson and Parker and determine if they were being truthful about what had happened to them. Now, for anyone not familiar with Dr. Hynek, He was a scientific advisor for the U.S. Air Force under three specific government projects. Project SIGN, which was the government's study of UFOs from 1947 to 1949. The second project was Project Grudge, which took place from 1949 to 1951 and was intended to alleviate public anxiety over UFOs and to persuade the public that all of these sightings could be explained and were nothing extraordinary. The third project was Project Blue Book, which took place from 1952 to 1969. Under Blue Book, thousands of UFO reports were collected, analyzed, and filed. So Dr. Hynek was a scientific advisor for these three government projects. So he goes down to see Hickson and Parker, and here's what he concludes in his own words. I went down to Pascagoula completely negative. But I talked, I worked with those men for quite a while. I listened to tapes that had been taken when they didn't know they were being taped. I uh, uh, saw what, how Charlie behaved under hypnosis. And uh, finally the, the lie detector test. All of those things convinced me that 
he was not making it up. The, they had had they had had an experience. Period. So Dr. Heineck listened to the tape from Key Factor Number Two, the secret tape recorder that was left in the room to see if they were pulling a prank on these policemen. And when he listened to it, it was realized that these men were absolutely in shock and fearful after what had happened to them. Dr. Heineck saw Charlie under hypnosis and he saw the results of the lie detector test. All of these items together were convincing enough for Dr. Heineck to state that he believed something truly happened to these two men and they weren't making it up. I'm going to jump now to a newspaper article from Monday, October 15th, 1973. The Pascagoula abduction occurred on the previous Thursday, October 11th. This article is from the Enterprise Journal in Macomb, Mississippi. Here's some excerpts from it to give you a taste of the media coverage of the Pascagoula abduction. The headline reads, Two Scientists Believe UFO Story. A Marion County civil defense official reported an unidentified flying object knocked out his radar Sunday night shortly after two scientists said they were still convinced two men were taken aboard a UFO along the Gulf Coast near Pascagoula. Doctors James Harger of the University of California and Alan Hynek, chairman of the astronomy department at Northwestern University, said they were convinced Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker encountered a non-terrestrial craft last week. A short time later, James Thornhill of Columbia said he picked up an object on his radar set. I observed what I thought to be an aircraft, Thornhill told officials. It got rather close to the station, about three miles, then it suddenly became stationary and jammed my radar, just completely jammed. I've never seen anything quite like this, except perhaps during World War II, he said. Thornhill said the radar unit developed streaks when the UFO returned later. Area residents, he said, reported seeing a craft with bright blue lights Sunday night. Sound familiar? Hickson and Parker went to authorities saying they were taken aboard a UFO. The two were interviewed by Harder and Hynek Saturday and Sunday, being placed under hypnosis for part of the sessions. These are not imbalanced people, Hynek said. They're not crackpots. There was definitely something here that was not terrestrial of this earth. Hynek then says the following. Where they came from and why they are here is a matter of conjecture. But the fact that they are here on this planet is beyond a reasonable doubt. Another quote here in this article from Sheriff Fred Diamond. They are sincere. Sightings of another or the same craft were made to authorities Thursday night by three other persons, Diamond said. National Weather Service officials said no studies were being conducted of the sightings, although earlier UFOs were explained as reflections of Mars and Jupiter bouncing through the atmosphere at odd angles. All right, so um, on the same night of the abduction, sightings of another or the same craft were made to authorities Thursday night by three other persons. That's a quote from Sheriff Fred Diamond. So indeed, residents of Pascagoula reported seeing a craft the night that Hickson and Parker were abducted. Just 
lends more credence to their story. So that was a newspaper article from October 15th, 1973. Um, just an incredible story. This is just one article of many with all of the key factors of this case stacked up. It's real difficult not to believe the accounts told by Hickson and Parker. It sounded terrifying, traumatic, and out of this world, quite literally. What are your thoughts? Send them my way to truth at majestictruth.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and any feedback. I believe their story. I don't see a reason that they would have made it up. For more documentation and some really fun and interactive stuff, visit MajesticTruth.com. We've put together investigator kits for various cases, and the Pascagoula abduction is our second case file that we have put together. Now, these investigator kits come complete with investigator documents with more information on the case newspaper articles, and supporting documentation and a neat case file folder that looks like it came right out of the filing cabinet of a government classified agency. We also have a really great shirt that comes in cardinal red or white, depending on the kit you choose, and it has a really neat design. It has a tape cassette on it, and what I like about, about it is it can really be a conversation starter because you will get inquisitive minds asking, what the heck is on your shirt? And you can launch into discussing the facts behind the Pascagoula abduction. We have an elite investigator kit as well that comes with a neon green acrylic card with the case file information engraved on it and also available for purchase is a really neat case file card holder that will hold 12 case file cards. So as each new case file is released, you can collect these acrylic uh, case file cards in your nifty holder. Anyways, check it out at MajesticTruth.com. This particular case file we have created an augmented reality experience for so if you point your phone at the QR code on the shirt sleeve, bam it launches into information about the Pascal abduction. So if you're hanging out and someone asks, what the heck is on your shirt? Whip out your phone and scan your snazzy uh, QR code on your sleeve and see for yourself. Neat stuff. All right, truth seekers. That concludes this episode of Majestic Truth. I hope you've enjoyed exploring the depths of the unknown with us today. Remember, the pursuit of truth and the quest for knowledge are ongoing journeys. So stay curious, stay open-minded, always follow your dreams, and keep seeking answers. Next week, we will dive into the story behind the group Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. You don't want to miss it. For more information on this episode about the Pascagoula abduction and to get the downloadable, Visit MajesticTruth.com forward slash episode six. Thanks for joining me, Truth Seekers. I'm grateful for every listener and humbled by every subscriber. Don't forget to mark your calendars and set your alarms because our next episode will be available next Tuesday on your favorite podcast app. Trust us, you won't want to miss it. Until then, keep your eyes on the skies, your mind open, and remember, the truth is out there. For updates, behind-the-scenes content, and a chance to engage with fellow truth seekers. Stay connected with us on social media, find us on Twitter at TruthSeekerPod, Instagram at MajesticTruthSeekers, and TikTok at MajesticTruthSeekers. Tune in next week as we explore the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Thanks for listening. <laughs>